0: will remain standing. Do you have your Bibles with you? I hope so. Take them out and turn them, please, to the book of Mark and to chapter 4 this morning. And after we finish reading, let me encourage you to keep your Bibles out. I know there's a famous preacher, we'll call him, on TV who has his people hold their Bibles up and they repeat a a mantra before they read. This is my Bible. I am what it tells me I am and so forth. And then they read a short passage and put the Bible away and never talk about it anymore for the rest of the service. We don't do that. Uh, So keep your Bibles out so you can follow along as we open up uh, God's word to us this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 of, of Mark chapter 4 as we get back into our study of Mark. So Mark chapter 4, we begin in verse 1, and we're reminded this morning that this is not just Mark's word to us. This is not man's word to us about God. This is God's revelation of himself to us this morning, and so let us give the appropriate attention to it as it's read. And produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. May God place his blessing on his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would bless it. As it has been read, as it's been heard, and now as we hear it preached in our hearing, Father, we pray, pl- we pray for your blessing upon that as well. We pray that we would uh, indeed hear uh, with ears to hear what your Spirit says to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we come this morning to familiar words to many of us, to most of us probably, and as we come to chapter 4 in Mark's gospel, we are coming to the first time, really, to a place in Mark's gospel where he gives uh, any sort of an extended record and details to the content of Jesus' teaching. Now, Mark has emphasized the teaching of Jesus— He's shown that Jesus has emphasized his teaching. Uh, But Mark has been devoting most of his his description, most of his record here, uh, to the, the deeds of Christ, to his healing of the sick, to his casting out of unclean spirits, and some to his interactions with the Pharisees. But now he turns at least for a good portion here of chapter 4, to Jesus' teaching itself. And specifically, he gives to us here one of the methods that Jesus utilizes very often in his teaching ministry, and that is to the parables. In these first 34 verses of chapter 4, Mark records four parables that Jesus gives. That's just sort of getting started Because he starts with those four, but in the whole gospel, there are about ten parables that Mark records Jesus giving. And even that is just a sampling. Uh, Matthew gives us 24 parables that Jesus gives. Luke records 28 times that Jesus teaches in parables. So Jesus really had a preference for the parable. And it's no wonder. It's a very effective way of teaching. It starts at a very recognizable level. It's a way that people very much identify with at first. And the parables make up about 35% of the recorded teachings of Jesus. And even though parables are used by others... Even outside of the Bible, there are some particularly religious texts who use parables. No one else comes close to putting this form of teaching to the powerful use that Jesus does. Now, a few weeks ago, we came across an earlier parable here that Jesus is recorded as using. And we talked a little bit about parables, and we said we'd have more to say, but let's remind ourselves here that, that a parable is most simply a saying, or a story, usually very brief, that is designed to illustrate a truth, especially through setting up a comparison, a comparison between the story and, and the truth. Most parables have one central point to them, a one central point that's being taught. In some cases, there are multiple connections between the elements of the story and the teaching of the parable, moving them sort of in the, in the direction of, of more like an allegory. And in fact, this parable that we're looking at this morning is sort of out of the ordinary in that it really borders on allegory because in allegories, everything in the The story, everything in the the saying relates to something else. Think of uh, in the Men's Fellowship, we're reading through Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. Everything in there has been put into the story in such a way that it means something, that it points to something. And here, this is very allegorical because the sower and the seed and the soil all represent something. A parable itself usually has two parts. There's the story itself, and then there's the meaning that is to be drawn out of the parable. That first part is, of course, essential the story itself. And in a parable, a good parable, the, the story is purposefully, readily understandable. It's a very homey kind of illustration. Someone sowing seeds in a field, a small seed that grows into a large bush, a net full of fish, finding a valuable treasure, those types of things. And so there's familiarity in the parables, in the stories that are given, something that most people can identify with, even if they've never themselves planted a seed or found a treasure. But that's the story. The second part, the meaning of the story, the meaning of the parable, what it's getting at, is not so easy most of the time. It is not so clear. And we're going to see Jesus elaborate on on why that is in our passage this morning. But this morning, in this parable, we have what is probably the most familiar the most well-known, the most clearly explained, and for what it's worth, the longest of all of Jesus' parables. It's found in all three of, of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke. None of them name it. Jesus didn't give a name to it. We call it the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds or the parable, probably best, of the soils. Now, We read this passage this morning. I won't ask for hands, but how many of you noticed that we have here in this passage this morning another of Mark's literary sandwiches that we talked about earlier? Did you catch that? He begins with Jesus giving the parable, and he ends with Jesus explaining that parable, and then in the middle... Between those two, he records the disciples' question about the parables and Jesus explaining more generally the purpose of parables. And when he gives that that answer there in the middle, it's a very interesting and a very unexpected answer that he gives. Well, this morning we are going to just take those in order. We'll look at Jesus giving this parable. We'll see then him explaining parables in general. And then thirdly, we'll see Jesus as he explains this parable. So first he gives the parable. And Mark sets the scene for us, for this series of of parables actually, by reminding us that as we've seen so often here in Mark's Gospel so far, that wherever Jesus goes, the crowds follow. Crowds gather to hear larger and larger crowds we've seen uh, coming together to hear what Jesus will teach and to see what Jesus will do. We saw earlier that, that Jesus, in an earlier episode, as the the crowd gathered and and grew and started to press in on him. Remember that Jesus had the disciples uh, get a boat ready, sort of an escape boat is what it was, in case, he said, the the crowd grows and in case he was to be uh, crushed by the crowd. Here he uses a boat for, for another purpose. He uses it kind of as a portable floating pulpit. Mark says that, if you see it there, he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. So they left the boats on the water, and Jesus gets into it. It might have pushed out even a little bit from from the shore, creating a wonderful kind of amphitheater for Jesus as he's off the shore on the boat, his, his voice bouncing off the water and up to where the crowds are on the land there. And Mark tells us in verse 2 that as he is there, that he was teaching them many things in parables. And this is the first that we have this morning. Now, there's really very little that needs to be said to explain the giving of the parable, the story itself. He begins by by grabbing their attention and, and, and holding it with a sort of a double command, he says there in verse three, as he begins to teach, he says, "Listen, behold, hear this he 's saying, and see this, listen to what i 'm saying if you in fact, he, he sort of brackets that when you get down to the end of him giving the parable, he ends by saying, "Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear so he 's saying." Pay attention to this parable as I'm giving it. Pay attention to what this is teaching. And of course, he gives then an instantly, easily understood situation that would have happened, uh, an event, especially in this agricultural area around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says that a sower went out to sow. Now, sowing, of course, is the process of planting seeds, especially to grow a crop for food, in, in Palestine here, wheat and barley were two of the, the staple crops, the grain crops. And the usual way that seed was sown in this area at this time, and this is, of course, essential to the parable is that a person, the sower, farmer, or someone uh, hired by the farmer, would take a sack of seeds and put it over their shoulder and would walk through the field and just scatter the seeds, put his hand in the sack and throw the seed out. It's called broadcasting is the way that it was done. And as he did that, without paying a lot of attention, um, just throwing the seed out, the seed would land in different areas of the field as Jesus relates. And he relates it first in verse 4. He says, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. There would be these paths running between the fields, uh, sometimes through the fields, alongside of the fields, on which the sower would walk as he did this, and and he would often have uh, a donkey or an animal with him that would have more seed to, to refill his sack. And these would become well-worn, well-traveled paths. And Jesus first points here that as the seed is sown, as the seed is scattered, some of the seed would inevitably fall on those footpaths. And because those paths had been packed down over time and, and with use, any seed that landed there would just sort of lay there And lay there on the top, and it would make a quick and easy meal, as Jesus says, for the birds. Immediately the birds would come and devour it. Others, Jesus said, in verses 5 and 6, he says, "...other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away." In these fields, very often there were rocks that would lay just below the surface. And some of the seed, Jesus says, fell there. These seeds would quickly sprout, but with the rocks just below, they had no real way to go down, no way to grow roots, and so they would just spring up. And so though it sprouts quickly, it didn't develop any, any roots. We talked about the importance of roots a couple of weeks ago. So verse 6 says that when the the hot sun beats down on these little uh, plants that just barely had time to sprout because they have no roots, they have no way to draw in moisture or nutrients, they would simply be scorched by the sun or as Jesus said, they would wither away. The third situation, the third type of soil in verse 7 is described as the seed that fell among thorns. Now, Everyone who has ever tried to plant a garden is familiar, familiar with the fact that the easiest things to grow are the things that you don't want to have grow, the weeds. And in the, the post-fall world, there is almost nowhere where weeds are not a constant struggle for those wanting to grow anything. I see a couple of heads nodding, um, recognizing that that is something that anyone who plants puts up with. And that's the case here. Jesus said that there are some seeds that fall uh, where there were weeds or thorns, thorn bushes, thorn, thorny weeds that would crop up. And although the seeds will grow, the weeds grow faster, the, green, the, seed, the weeds grow better, and they will soon choke out the new and growing plants. The grain just doesn't stand much of a chance there. And the result, at the end of verse 7, is that it yielded no grain, no fruit, no increase. But finally, Jesus said, there are seeds that fell, verse 8, into good soil, and they produce grain. Uh, They grow up and and increase, he says, in yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. In these, we find the desired result in the good soil that they land in. A normal yield for grain crops was was about 10 to 15-fold. But here in this area around the Sea of Galilee and the fertile soil in that area, a hundred-fold yield was not unheard of. And so this is extraordinary growth, but not unheard of growth. And so that's the, that's the parable. That's the story. And Jesus concludes it, as I said, with this challenge in verse 9, where he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Learn the lesson of the parable, he's saying. If you have ears to hear, if you are able to understand what I'm saying to you, give heed to it. And The, the implication there is that there's more to what is being said and what is being taught than just a story about a man sowing seeds and some seeds not doing well. And notice how they progress. One just gets eaten. One grows quickly a little bit and then dies. One grows more but gets choked out. And then finally that in the good soil produces fruit. And that's the parable. It's very simple. It's very easy to understand. Yet there is something more. And Jesus implies here that not everyone does have ears to hear, to hear what he is saying, to hear what he is teaching, to understand this parable. Because, as I mentioned, the parable, all parables, point to something beyond themselves. They teach something. They are similar to something else. They're a a simile, they're perhaps a metaphor, they are in some cases uh, more allegorical, like this one. There's that comparison, and the comparison aspect of a parable teaches something. It points to a lesson, it points to a truth, a truth that is really the point of the parable, right? And that is the point. And the disciples asked Jesus about this method that he is using, how he Teaches with parables. And that brings us to the second thing that we want to see is that Jesus explains parables generally. This is the middle of the sandwich. This is a little uh, breakaway from his dis, dis, uh, explicit teaching of this parable. Now we read that it is the end of the day, reverse 10 here. After the the day is pretty much over, after the teaching is done, the people have left. It says, when he was alone, but he's not quite alone, the crowds are gone, and Jesus is left with those who stayed with him, who would stay with him wherever he went. Verse 10 says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So the twelve are there, but there are also others. There's also another group with the twelve that are those that we would call Jesus' disciples. Remember the twelve? They're disciples. They're also apostles. But apart from them, there were also other followers of Jesus. Those who followed him and listened to him and and believed him in, in some cases and trusted him, and they followed him as well. So these are those more serious followers of Jesus who while not selected as apostles were legitimately to one degree or other what we would call followers of Christ which again is what a disciple is and they asked Jesus about the parables that's what Mark tells us that they asked him about the parables Matthew when he records this he gives us the question that they asked And that question is this from Matthew 13.10. They ask him specifically, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, when I was growing up, I was taught that parables were an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Which is kind of true, but it's not very helpful. I also learned that that parables were to illustrate truths, to make certain truths clear, truths concerning the kingdom of God, uh, so that I learned, so that we might all understand these deeper truths. Well, that is okay too, but that's only half the story. And in fact, as Jesus explains here in these verses, in verses 10 through 12, um, as he explains to them about these parables, he explains that the purposes or the purpose of parables is both to reveal and to conceal, depending on the condition of the heart of the hearer. Listen to what Jesus says. Follow along. I begin in verse 10. 10 says and when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven Jesus, this is one of the more difficult sayings of Jesus. Jesus says that to those who are following him, to those who are trusting him, to them, he says, has been given what Jesus calls the secret of the kingdom of God. What is that secret? Well, what does the word secret mean? The word secret here means something very specific. It doesn't mean something that you, you tell to someone else and say, now don't tell anybody else about this. That's not what it means. In fact, the, the Greek word that is translated here, as secret, is the Greek word "mysterion," which is where we get the word mystery. And that word refers to, and here's what this means, it is a, a truth that was hidden and can only be known and understood as God reveals it that's the idea of a mystery and if you read through the the new testament especially the writings of Paul you'll see several uses that Paul makes of the word mystery one of them is that it is a mystery that what was in the old testament the church in the old testament was just for the jews primarily for the jews now in the new testament in christ now the gentiles have been grafted in that they are part of that church now. That wasn't known in the Old Testament. It wasn't known until Jesus reveals it, until Paul reveals it as the teaching of the New Testament reveals it. That's the idea of a musterion, of a secret, a mystery. It's a riddle kind of that needs to be interpreted. In fact, in Matthew's record again of this event, Jesus, when he answers the question, quotes from psalm 78 in his explanation and and this is what he quotes from psalm 78 he says all these things jesus said to the crowd in parables indeed he said nothing to them without a parable this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet and here's psalm 78 i will open my mouth in parables i will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world So here's this idea of of Jesus revealing what was once hidden. That's the idea of the secret. And Jesus says to you, believers, you followers of me, part of the kingdom, this secret has been given to you, the knowledge of the kingdom, the understanding of these things. And Jesus says that the true meaning of the parables, which has to do with with this here and the parables that Jesus gives, with the kingdom of God. Remember, we'll we'll see that here a little later, but in Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus gives all of these parables, one of the ways that he identifies a parable is he says the kingdom of God is like a woman who found a coin, a man who found a treasure. The kingdom of God is the focus of the parables. And so Jesus says that that true meaning is revealing the kingdom of God as they do and are meant to do, those things are not revealed to unbelievers. That is not something that they grasp as they hear these stories, those that are outside. But it's been given to his people, to those part of the kingdom. He's essentially saying the same thing that Paul said over in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he said that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to, the, to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's what Jesus is saying about parables. For those who are outside, they don't make sense. You wonder how it is that your unsaved friends and neighbors and family members that you speak to about the gospel they just don't seem to, to get it. You explain the Bible to them, but it seems to either go over their head or they just won't agree with the most basic biblical affirmations about man and about God and about sin, about salvation that you're relating to them from the Scripture. That's the same kind of thing. They don't understand it because those things are foolish to their unsaved mind. And Jesus is saying, to those with an unsaved mind, with an unregenerate mind, the parables are just stories. Understanding of the meaning of those things, the things of the nature of God and of His kingdom, can't be understood without divine teaching. Without a divine teacher, the Holy Spirit, revealing those things to them. And Jesus says that this is true because of the sovereign decree of God and by virtue of their own hardness of heart. And here we get into this difficult place where the sovereignty of God and the the actions and the beliefs and the hardness of men are, are laid side by side. Just like we saw back in the book of Romans where Paul in in Romans chapter 9 talked about Pharaoh and his heart being hardened. And we saw how scripture sometimes talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart and at other times about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. That's the same kind of thing here. Look at what what we read about Look down in verse um, 25. We'll come to that next week. But here are... Jesus says, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's what's happening with the parables. The parables are intended to reveal things to those to whom God reveals them and to hide things from those to whom he has not. They're intended to and do work that truth out that we saw just down a few verses from now. They're like the sun shining. You no, know, you've heard this before how the same sun shining down will melt, soften, and melt wax and harden clay. It's the same thing here. And Jesus then quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 to further express that point. That's what we have in verse 12. He says, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That comes from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah was told to go and to preach to the people who had rejected God, who were not listening, and to preach to them in a a way of, of judgment upon them, to preach to them so that when they didn't understand, it increased their culpability for rejecting what God had been saying to them. And here, to those outside of the kingdom, to those apart from Christ, still living with darkened minds and stopped-up ears and blinded eyes, the parables are just stories about farming and fishing and treasure. But to us, Christian, they are a great treasure. Because they open up to us the wonders of the nature of the kingdom of God. Now, having even explained this, Jesus shows here that even those to whom the secret of the kingdom has been given, they do not, we do not yet possess an instant understanding and a perfect understanding of all these parables. And as Jesus said, they require someone to show these things to them. Well, now Jesus is going to show it. Jesus is going to explain this parable. And he starts with a a mild rebuke to his disciples there in verse 13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? If you can't get this one, how are you going to get the other ones? And other ones are more difficult than this one. Especially since we have Jesus' own explanation right here before us. And we're going to come to that now as we see Jesus explain this parable. In verse 14, he begins his explanation. He says, The sower sows the word. That's the seed. That's what's being sown, Jesus said, is the word, God's word. The word of God, the scripture, the gospel, the teaching of the kingdom of God. Obviously, then, if that is the seed, then the sower is the one who is disseminating that information. Ultimately, the sower is Christ. The sower is God. Though the seed of the Word is is sown by anyone who shares that Word with anyone else. That seed is sown every Sunday as the Word goes out from this pulpit and other pulpits throughout the world. Though sad to say, not every pulpit, not every church sows the good seed of God's word, but often sows something else nowadays. They sow that which is man's word, which, which distracts things which sometimes even contradict the pure seed of the word of God in the Scripture. But it's that word, the word of God that comes to us from the the Bible, the the written word of God. It is that which is that imperishable seed that Peter talks about, the living and abiding word of God. And so he begins then to to explain this parable, to explain the result of the sowing of this seed. And it's very, very practical. It is a very practical parable. And even though we'll see that there are four categories, four soils, in the end there are only two, only two kinds of hearers of God's Word. There are those in whom the seed bears fruit, and there are those in whom it does not. That is, those who ultimately remain, as Jesus called them, those outside. And as we look at this explanation that Jesus gives, let me challenge everyone here this morning to take this opportunity, especially as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, to examine yourselves in the light of Jesus' explanation here to see which of these really represent you. Because you could find yourself And people in churches, I mean, there are representatives of all of these in churches today. First, Jesus tells us that there are some whose hearts are like the seed that falls along the path. Verse 15 says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. There are those sitting in churches, sitting in churches this morning, I dare say sitting in this church this morning, who hear the word of God as it is preached and it has no effect on them at all. Perhaps they come, perhaps they sit, perhaps they sing, maybe, maybe not. But perhaps they Their mind is elsewhere. Perhaps they spend their time doing something else. Perhaps they're on their phone. Perhaps they're on their tablet. Their mind is on other things. And the word is preached. The scripture is preached. And that word bounces off of their heart like the walkway out here in front of our building. And the enemy comes right along behind and snatches it up like birds eating seed that has fallen on that hard, packed surface in the parable. For those, the words mean nothing to them. The seed of the word of Almighty God is just so much pablum to them. They leave this service. They leave their service. They leave every service absolutely no different than when they came in, except that they leave with a more hardened heart than when they came in. And as I say, there are these types of hearers in every church. And I do not doubt that there are those in this congregation that fit this category. If you find yourself there, if that is you, you are in eternal danger. And if you continue to disregard the call of God through His Word, you will be lost forever. That's the first soil. The second type of soil, the second type of hearer are represented by that seed that fell on rocky soil. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this person is not totally unaffected by the Word as it is preached. They're pleased to hear the Word. They're happy to hear a sermon that pleases them, that perhaps lifts them up. They're moved maybe by the expressions and the examples of God's grace and God's mercy that the Scripture talks about and that we sing about. They can be moved even by the appeal of God, the appeal of a preacher, even to tears at times. That is, as Jesus says, they immediately receive it with joy. And it may stay with them for a while. He says they endure for a while, verse 17. But the joy that they have is a natural type of joy. It's like someone who is moved to tears in a movie or a play. The problem with these, Jesus says, is that they have no root in themselves. There's no real grounding. There's no real support. There's no vitality. And that's because there's no conversion. They're happy to be called a Christian. But when the rubber meets the road, when their faith is tried, Jesus says when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he says immediately they fall away. They crumble like a house of cards. Not because their faith is weak, but because their faith is non-existent. There is no work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of these they may think, they may want you to think, that there's been a work of grace in their hearts, but because they lack the root of a genuine, genuine faith, they lack any fruit coming from it. And because there is no fruit coming from it, you can be sure that there is no root underneath it. Not because the fruit saves, but because the root produces fruit. That's James. That's Paul. That's Jesus. And there are many of these in the church as well. Perhaps more even than the first type. Fair-weather Christians, we might call them. Who are perhaps here every Sunday, but if you saw them during the week, you would hear nary word about the Lord. And if you could get inside their head, you would find nary a thought of Him either. They are those who will allow any excuse to keep them away from the services of worship. They have no root, so they have no fruit. That's the second kind of hearer. Jesus goes on and teaches that there are others who are like that seed that lands among the thorns or among the, the weeds. And others, he says, are the ones, verse 18, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These hear the word, and perhaps they try to obey the word. They, like the last group, probably would have come forward if there's an altar call. Both types, in fact, really all of these, may have joined the church. They may have taken vows before God and the congregation. These believe with their mind what they hear, and they believe that these things in the Scripture, the things that the Scripture records, believe that they took place. These people, if you would follow them home after church, you would hear Christian music being played. You would see Christian decor on the walls. And of those you may judge good thing. Good things. But even with these, Jesus says, there's a problem. A problem of the heart. The problem with these, as Jesus says, is that their hearts are still anchored in the world. They still love what the world loves more than what God loves. They're like a a magpie, that bird with a, an affinity for and being easily drawn or distracted by shiny things. There are those who sit in churches who are like that. And again, the problem is that this person's heart loves the world and the things of the world. See what Jesus says there. Verse 19, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. Remember, Jesus taught how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the problem is not the riches themselves. Those are indifferent the problem, as Jesus says, as Jesus says here, is the deceitfulness of riches, the promises that the riches hold out that it doesn't deliver, the promises of fulfillment and of joy and of happiness. They promise things that they can't deliver, and they cannot provide righteousness But the one represented here prefers the riches. He has a desire for other things. And that desire, that mindset, that heart set enters in, as Jesus says, and chokes out the word. Overrides it. Makes it nothing. Suppresses it. And the word, Jesus says, in those then remains unfruitful. And again, the church is full of these thorny ground hearers as well. Such a person is, to use a contemporary example, like Gollum. They become consumed like Gollum did for the shiny thing. They become consumed by their desire for the precious The things that they hold precious, the money, the possessions. And the result, Jesus says, is a fruitless life. But thankfully, he does not leave us there. But he goes on and comes to the final type of hearer. The one out of four. The one good type, the fruitful type. The type that I would pray represents everyone here this morning. He says there were those that were sown on the good soil. He says they are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The good soil is where this seed has landed. The The good soil is the soil that's been prepared by a gracious work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the only type of soil that will cause a plant to thrive and to sprout and to produce fruit. There's nothing we can do to make soil good. The Holy Spirit has to do that. But Jesus says here we have to hear. The soil here represents those who hear the word, he says, and accept it and bear fruit. This is the only example in the parable of a converted person. The only example of a regenerate person, a born-again Christian. Again, as James and Paul and Jesus tell us, the only true saving faith is a faith that produces fruit. Again, the fruit does not save us, but the salvation that we have works in us to produce fruit. And that's necessary. Our justification is free, but it is never free of results. The seed of God's word must take root in our hearts if we are to enter the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. You may have heard that phrase. It used to be very popular. Someone who accepts Christ and receives salvation and is truly regenerate but bears no fruit whatsoever that is a contradiction a contradictory term a contradiction in regard to what the scripture teaches there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian yes we we fight the flesh we battle against the sin that remains in us but the true Christian will always produce fruit. What is the fruit that the Spirit working in us will always produce? Is it a number of notches on your spiritual belt of people you have led to the Lord? Not according to Scripture. Here is the fruit that the Spirit produces. You know it. Love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the fruits of faith. Because of our battles, particularly the battle with our flesh, our yield may be slight, it may be 30 fold. Or it may be 60-fold. Or it may be large, it may be a hundredfold. And notice this this morning, that the 30, the 60, the 100 are all together as having grown out of the good soil. Those that are of little fruit are in the same category as those with much. But every genuine believer will produce fruit because in him the word has taken root. Because in him the soil has been prepared by the Holy Spirit. And our task is to attend to those things by those means by which God produces the fruit to hear the word, to accept the word, to believe the word, to be in prayer, to partake of the sacraments, and then to bear fruit. So let me ask again as we close here this morning which type of soil? represents you. Let us each examine ourselves and answer that question. With what kind of heart do we hear God's word each week? Remember, there are three that are profitless and one that is fruitful. May we each find ourselves in that good soil this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for this teaching, we thank you for, for the fact that the Spirit works to break up the, the dirt clods, to remove the rocks, to fertilize the soil, to make the soil good. He does that work. We thank you for that, for outside of that, there would be no hope of profit, no hope of fruit. But Lord, we pray that you would help each of us here this morning to consider how we hear God's word. How we think on the things that that it teaches us. And Lord, I pray that each of us will find and, and see fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit that shows us, Lord, and gives us confidence in the fact that we are yours. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.